Hi, it's Molly. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Excel Books Podcast. I believe you're in for a treat. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Excel Books Podcast. It's your favorite host, Molly. And on my show, we like to talk about work, family, and life. For those of you that are new to my channel, thank you for tuning in. For my legacy listeners, you know I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Today is part two of the mini-series on being an empty nester. So if you were listening to our previous episode, you know that I talked about really the acknowledgement of the entire phase. What is it... What does it feel like? What does it mean? How do you deal with those emotions? Who do you talk to? How do you prevent yourself from becoming like the worst parent while they're getting ready to leave the nest? Um, I talked about all the the, pre, the proactive things, um, you know, for empty nest syndrome. And I promised you at the end of the last episode that I was going to meet with someone that I highly respect, that I uh, wanted to gain wisdom from, that would teach me how to teach us. And I say us. When I say us, I mean you and me. (laughs) We're in this together. Um, How to deal with emptiness syndrome as far as walking it out, both during the phase of, you know, hey, they're getting ready to move out and afterwards. So I'm proud to say that I have met with this awesome person that I love and respect. And I'm going to start by giving a shout out to that person. So I want to start by saying thank you to my mother-in-law, Miss Cheryl. Um, She is such a, a gem and just full of wisdom. And I just admire her, her strength and her character and how she does things. Um, I have tons of great uh, family members and great in-laws, but she is one of those people that I really highly respect, and I don't take it lightly when she speaks. Um, I'm going to start by telling you why I chose to get wisdom from her and how I went about it and then what I learned from it. So I chose my mother-in-law, Miss Cheryl, because this is someone who has raised two men, um, both successful, both strong. Um, you know, both have level heads on their shoulders. They're not crazy. They're not violent. They're not, you know, they're not doing anything they're not supposed to be doing, you know, from a, uh, overall good citizen perspective, um, just really good men. And she seems to do it with such grace. Um, never seems to, to sweat, never seems to freak out or panic. And they've been out of the home for years. And, um, I got to witness her just a, a, a tiny piece of her uh, letting her youngest son uh, move out of the home where she became an empty nester. And I got to witness that because, well, I am the wonderful woman who kind of took him away. So that's why I chose her because I got to see this kind of from uh, beginning to end, if you will. And I've watched her uh, handle emptiness syndrome uh, during some really difficult times, you know, during uh, divorces, you know, where, you know, between me and my husband, between uh, tragedies with me and my husband and how she handled being an empty nester without being overbearing, overpowering, um, but without being absent or lukewarm. And I learned a lot of wisdom. So I, I met with her. I 
asked for a time where I could just sit at her feet and and learn. And I came with my notebook and pen, and I was like, I am ready to learn. Teach me what I need to do because I don't have it all right. And I don't want to screw this up. But I know that I'm going to make mistakes no matter what wisdom I learn, but I can at least try. And um, in her wonderful, humble fashion, you know, she says, do not take notes. So (laughs) I honored my mother-in-law. So I am telling you everything that you're hearing in today's episode from memory. So if I messed up something, tried it to my head, not my heart, I promise you I had a notebook and pen. And she was like, do not write stuff down. Like, you don't need to do it. So I will start by saying the three things that we're going to cover that help you get through empty nest syndrome. So the first thing is support. You're going to have support. You're going to have um, practice and you're going to have trust. So SPT, support, practice, trust. Now, let's talk about support. Support is something that happens before they move out primarily and then it fades after they move out so what is that so one of the things that my um my awesome uh, mother-in-law taught me was that before they move out on their own support them don't freak out and be like oh my gosh you can't go or or belittle them or belittle their ideas instead work on ways to make it happen if your kid is saying I want to live in my own place. Okay, great. Let's start getting you rental books so you can start seeing what the prices are. Let's start finding plans to help you make that happen. If the rent is $1,200 a month, you know, in the area, then you need a job making at least this much an hour. How do we get you to that? We'll do, we could do one job. We could do two jobs. We can do uh, this job plus another. You can get a roommate. We can find friends like all kinds of things to do to support. Um, Start by supporting their dream. Um, If they want to start a business, start start doing those things. So, and I'm going to give you an example of how I've been doing that this week, because I told you guys I was going to make a list of the things that are good and not so good, and I was going to work on acting these things out. So it's only been about a week or two, but I have been trying to do the things that I said. One of those things was... I want, I started helping my kids get a job and, you know, every state is difficult. So, and every home situation is difficult. So if you are listening and you have a kid with unique needs and you're like, I can't send them out to get a job, you know, trust me, there's a program somewhere to help you right where you are. And I'm going to say this with a grain of salt. So with me, I have two autistic boys and for them to get a job, I have to do a little bit of work. I have to really prepare them way ahead of time on how to think, how to behave, how to interview, how to have a resume, why you should have a resume, like talking about all those deep dive things with them so that they understand because they're not going to be able to handle it if I just throw them in a job with no warning and they're like, I don't know, you sent me somewhere to clean somebody's floors. I'm like, okay, let's talk about the value and why and what it does. Um, But I want, and how did I do that? I did that by creating their resume. And let me say this. I'm going to say this. You have to support in a way that, that flows with the gifts that God has given you. 
And, and I say that with a grain of salt. I believe as parents that God has given us everything we need to be the best parents we can be for our children. I didn't say the perfect parents. I just said to be the best parents that we know how to be. Um, now, with that said, that does not mean that every parent has the gift of administration. Some parents, that is just not your gift. If you are listening and you're like, I don't do resumes, I can't spell resume, I don't even know where my resume is. If that is you, that is okay. What you want to do is you want to actually make sure that you either A, find a resource that can do that for you, or um, you learn the skill yourself. So what I did was I happened to have that gift, so I made the resume. Now, if you're listening and you're like, I don't know anyone who does resumes, I don't know how to go about it, but I do want to actually um, finish this and get my kid on the right start, where do I go? You can actually go to my website at xelbooks.com and I will happily make your resume. It's one of the things that I do. I'm used to making resumes for those with no experience and those with ample experience. Regardless of what uh, stage of life you are in, I can help you. So that's a resolution if you're like, I don't know what to do. But I also want to say that when it comes to children who may not be typical as far as someone you can just throw out in the workforce. And what do I mean by typical? I'm talking about those that have extremely unique needs, such as, um, you know, perhaps they are, they have extremely bad, um, you know, I don't want to say bad, but maybe they are, um, and I don't know the, the medical term, so I'm trying to be careful. I can only tell you what I was told growing up. So I had an aunt who was very severely mentally impaired uh, to the point that she could not surpass the mental understanding of like a 12-year-old. So we could not just throw her, they couldn't just throw her into the workforce. But my grandparents did not give up. They actually took her, put her in a program, put her in something that mattered. And this program got her a job. And now does she make a lot? No. Um, was it enough for her to go out and live on her own? No, but she did learn the skills. She did get to interact with people. She did get away from home. She did get those uh, vital components of being a uh, older person um, that she needed to thrive in life. Um, enough to where she could say, hey, I understand the value of money and I understand why I need to go to work and I understand the value of wanting to have things of my own. Like those are the things that happen with that. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't think a resume is going to be enough for my kid, look in your community and find resources. If you're not sure where, start with your, your community's town hall. Most town halls have a plethora of information or the town library. And they have things for your city that you probably haven't tapped into. And that's one of the things I did. So I found out my state in North Carolina, um, if they're under the age of, I think it's 16 or 18 or something, they need a youth employment ID. So I got one for both kids 
and decided that I was going to apply for it, put those on their resume, get them started. I also did some Googling and said, okay, I know you have no experience, but we can get you knowledge. And so I'm going to put you in a program online, one hour courses that get you certifications and things like customer relationship management and YouTube marketing and whatever else I can get that makes you look more desirable as someone to hire. That's how you start supporting. You also start, um, now I'm going to go to the step two, another way of supporting, or I'll say the expansion of that supporting is practice. So what do I mean by that? I actually demonstrated this today, and this was tough for me, but I did it. Praise Jesus. So today I took my family out to a water park, Uh, you know, a little local, uh, local-ish, you know, water park, you know, maybe about an hour or so away, not too far tons of water everywhere, but plenty of room for him to roam and make friends and interact with other kids and all that kind of stuff. Now, part of being an empty nester and practicing an empty nester is allowing them more time on their own. This is how I practice and this is how you can practice. The way I practice today was like this. So I had been at the water park with my family. It had been two hours. I had not seen one of my children in about an hour. Now, as a mommy who, like I said, you know, just knowing my kids exist gives me oxygen to breathe. Um, You know, so not being around them is like, oh my gosh, I can't function in life. I literally was freaking out because I couldn't lay eyes on my son. And I'm like, "It, it wasn't a gigantic water park, but it was big enough that I couldn't see everything from sitting down. Like I have to get up and walk around somewhere. Um, I had to resist the temptation to make an announcement, freak out, ask someone to find him, go find him and yell, all this stuff. So what I did was I got up and I went and walked around to the areas of the water park to see if I could find him. And I did find him. And at first I thought if I walked up to him that he would see me He would acknowledge me and be like, hey, mom, how's it going? I'm just playing with some friends, you know, and keep going. But instead, I kept seeing that he wanted to be on his own. He didn't really want to interact with me. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being mean. But he really wanted to be on his own. And so I thought about that thing. And I said, you know what? My kid is demonstrating to me symptoms of leaving the nest. That he wants to be on his own. That he wants to do this by himself. How does it look if I'm a teenager and my mom just shows up while I'm playing with other kids, having a good time, and I interrupt and I'm just like, hey, I need you to check in with me and all that. Like, it's like showing that he has no independence. He doesn't go out often. He doesn't go to parks like this often. Can I bear with my own emotions long enough to not grill him in public? As small as that practice sounds, it is an act of preparing for emptiness syndrome. It is an uh, open demonstration to your child that you're giving them room to grow without backlash. And that is huge. And I'm going to say that based on an experience that I've had when I was younger. I remember when I was younger wanting to get a job and wanting to move out. Other kids my age were working I wanted to work. I wanted some independence. 
I wanted the ability to make my own or maybe start paying for my own things in my own room. And I remember my my mom at the time not being supportive at all. It was, we need you at home. I need you to help your brothers and sisters, you know, with their homework and make sure they get on the bus and make sure the house is clean. And, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm not their mother and I'm not the maid. And don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying this at all to say to be disrespectful. So if you're a young person and you're listening and you're like, oh, see, my mom's wrong. My dad's wrong. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I can relate and I understand what it's like at that age to feel the unfairness of being forced to not have any room to breathe just because they're used to you being right there. And that actually damaged a lot of my connection with my mother at a very young age um, because I grew up thinking I can never get out of here because my mom was not willing to take me to work. I remember asking, I remember asking, I said, hey, can I, if I get a job over here, can you take me to work? No, you need to be here. Well, what about around the corner? I can walk. It's not far. I'll just walk from here to here. I was not allowed to walk around the corner to get a job, not even to just push grocery carts at Food Lion. But my brother, who was younger than me, the second he wanted to work, he was allowed to do it. And he was driven there and everything. Now, I'm not blaming my mother because maybe she learned her lesson after me and realized that it wasn't a normal thing to do. Um, But what she did do was she she made a difference. And if you hear background noise, everyone, that is my son who is at the door and just needs to give me a few minutes to finish this podcast episode. So that's all it is, all is well. But what she did was she blocked my ability to be independent and learn what it was like to leave the nest. So what that did for me was I learned that I had less um, reason to confide in my mother. And I felt like there was no reason for me to go forward and do anything on my own. I was afraid of the world. I was afraid to work. I was afraid I couldn't handle it. I started believing that my purpose was to be home and clean and cook and make sure everyone else is fine. I started thinking more along the lines of being a housewife versus being a working woman. Now, I'm not saying that that's where my path took me, but I'm saying this because I was not allowed to do it. It actually impacted everything that I did. You want to practice supporting your child growing up. Practice supporting them being independent. Now, let me say this with a, let me put the caveat in here, okay? Let me put this in there because I want to make sure this is real clear. Practicing supporting your child during the uh, early stages of empty nest syndrome does not mean 100% independence. It does not mean that you are hands-off, not involved in any little thing and that you have um you know no say so no input no inclusion that is not what that means you are their parent you are their guardian that is your job it is your job to be observant to watch to think about them to make sure they're okay you can support and practice support and give plenty of room to them but still maintain your parental uh uh, what did I say? Uh, I don't want to say powers, but I guess I'll say powers. And so what do I mean by that? So my son, 
I gave him independence to say, here, you go out there, you go and have fun and play. I'm going to let you have all the time you want, interact with people. You don't have to check in with me every five minutes because I can see where you are. However, I still, at the end of the day, was able to say, okay, I determine when this ends today. We're not staying in here until the the midnight because you just felt like playing today. We're going to have a time limit. We're going to have, you know, a boundary here. That's my job as the parent. Um, I exercise their ability to have freedom, but I also put in the rules of, okay, I know you want to go work at some Fortune 500, but you can't go there yet because they don't have interns and you don't have the skills yet. So let's help you get the skills so that you can. Those are ways of practicing where you're supporting what they want to do, but still supporting yourself as the parent. So I just want to make sure I clarify that because what I've seen a lot of parents put so much autonomy in their kids that their kids grow up disrespecting them, not speaking to them, thinking they're in charge of the house, thinking their their parent is required to do things for them, um, the sense of entitlement to the point that the parent no longer wants to be the parent or worse yet, parent doesn't even want to interact with their kid. That is the, the wrong way of supporting. That's the the too far extreme of supporting your kid. You want to support with balance and support with wisdom. Like you've got to ask God to let you know where to bend and where not to bend. It's a delicate performance as a parent as you're going through this empty nester syndrome is, okay, where do I let go? Where do I pull the reins back? Uh, Where do I dig my heels in? Where do I step back off the gas? You've got to pray for God to reveal to you where those changes need to occur in you for your kid to become who they're supposed to be. Now, the last part of this component is trust. Now, I'm going to say trust in two areas. Well, I'll say three areas, actually. There's three people you need to trust as you are going through empty nest syndrome. And this is something that's going to happen both proactively, like as they're getting ready to leave the nest, and after they leave the nest. So you want to trust your kid. And I know some of you are like, ah, that's that's going too far. My kid's not mature. I can't even get them to wash their tail all the time. How can I trust them to go out and do things in the real world, blah, 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 blah. You're not trusting that they're not going to make mistakes. You're trusting that they heard what you taught them. You're trusting that some of what you taught them will stick. You're trusting that they will learn from their mistakes. You're trusting that if they decide they need you, that they will actually contact you. That's one part of the trust. You're, you know, um, you're trusting yourself. Trusting that you did as good of a job as you could at the time to prepare them. You're never going to get it perfect. Let me say that now. There's no way to get it perfect. There's no way to say, hey, I did all the right things. I I raised my kid perfectly. I taught them all the skills. They should be perfectly flawless. It does not exist. There is no perfect parent. Jesus was a perfect parent and he is in heaven and now he's through us and through the Holy Spirit and all that. But even he isn't right here holding my hand every second of the day saying, hi, Molly, this is how you should breathe today. And this is how you should do this with your kid. Like there are things where I'm sure, you know, if you look back like, hmm, wonder if I should have expounded on that verse in the Bible. Like, There's no, there's no perfect uh, way to do everything. But with God's guidance, you can do what you need to do. So trust that he gave you enough wisdom to raise your kid. Trust that you did a decent job in getting the information to your kid. 
and trust that you can handle when they leave the nest. And I'm saying this because it's going to happen whether you do these proactive things or not, whether you want it to happen or not, it's going to happen. So you have to trust that you have enough strength in yourself to deal with your kid not being home. That's what you want to deal with. You want to trust that in you. And the last person that you're trusting, and I say last, but it's really not the last, it's really the first, is you want to trust God. You want to trust that anything you didn't teach your kid, anything you didn't get across to them, anything you failed at, anything that you're like, wow, no matter what I do, I keep messing this up. What if they grow up and mess up this thing? You have to trust that God fills in the gaps. Remember, he's the shepherd. We're just the vessel that he chose to bring this child through. But he is their ultimate parent. He is their creator. He knows everything. So anything that you failed at as a parent to teach them, he will fill in that gap. And you've got to trust that he's got that covered. And I'm saying that to you because I have met parents who freak out. They are stressed beyond belief because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't teach my kid how to do laundry. I didn't teach them how to wash dishes. I didn't teach them how to work on their own. I didn't teach them how to pump gas or use a bank card or any of this. What if they end up in debt? What if they end up stranded on the road? What if they don't know how to repair their car? What if, what if, what if, what if? You can't solve for every what if. There will always be another what if. You have to trust that The person with ultimate power and control to help your child succeed in life is not you. It's not their kid. It's him. And you've got to trust that he's got it under control. Um, Now, with that, I'm going to throw in one last element of trust with empty nesters because I believe that this was one of those golden nuggets that I learned from my mother-in-law during that session. So when I was talking with her, she let some really smart wisdom come out and she was talking about handling empty nest syndrome well after your kids have moved out have become adults and got their own families so as i said she has two men that she's raised they have both uh have been married had two kids have had multiple jobs they have both had highs and lows both from illnesses to surgeries to accidents to all kinds of things and I have watched this woman graciously handle it and I asked her I said how do you do that how do you deal with your kid moving out becoming an adult and you're not there every day how do you deal with that I said there's no more good night hugs there's no more let's play a game there's no more let's watch tv how do you deal with that and I love what she said she said well my desire to be around them didn't change. My desire as a mother didn't change. The way I go about it is what changed. She said, there are some times that I call my kids. She said, I might go two weeks and I'll just call them. I don't wait for them to call me. I just call them. Hey, just wanted to hear your voice. She said, but I'm careful about what I say. I don't call and say, hey, you know, I heard that you're going through this. Here's my advice. She said, no, I don't volunteer my advice. I let them know it's always here if they want it. I let them know I'm here if they even just want to, you know, talk. I I literally call and say, I just need to hear your voice. And then I respect however they want to respond. If they respond in a way that says, I really don't want to talk to my mom today, I let that go. If they respond in a way where they really want to talk to me and they just want to vent and cry, I, I, I embrace it. If they respond in a way of, I'm falling apart, mom, come help me, I, I embrace that. But I don't try to force my way in. She said, I can't go more than two weeks without hearing their voice. And sometimes even when I call, I still can't get them. 
And I have had to teach myself that no news sometimes is good news. It's not like when they were little, where if you heard no news, you didn't know if that meant they fell, they hurt themselves, they got in some kind of problem or whatever. You have to just trust that when they need to contact you, they will. And that has allowed her to last all these years. And not only that, she also had to trust that the person they chose as a partner is someone who will take care of her sons. And this was really huge to me because if you think about it, empty nest syndrome, and maybe I'll do a whole nother episode on that. We'll, we'll see what God says. But empty nest syndrome goes all the way into the next family. It's not just about them leaving your house and you learning to trust them on their own. It's trusting that when they get on their own and then when they start a family of their own, that that family is just right for them that their significant other is going to take care of them, that they're going to make sure they're okay, that they don't get too sick, that they're not too cold, that they eat properly, that they remember all the health challenges that they have, that they, uh, you know, do all the things that you know as a mother. You're, you're trusting that that person will either A, learn it and master it, or ask about it and figure it out. And she does that. She has to trust that I, as her daughter-in-law, am going to take care of her son. And she has to trust that she can call me or call him and not pry on information, not pry on what's going on or why you haven't called, but to be able to say, you know what, my son's okay. He chose a good wife. She's going to take care of him. If something goes wrong, I'm sure he's going to tell me. If he doesn't tell me, I'm going to assume it's all right. And I'm going to assume the best until I have proof that it's the opposite. That's how you get through empty nest syndrome. Support, practice trust. I hope all that made sense. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to um, our next episode of some things that I want to talk to you about. Some things are laid on my heart. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, be blessed. I pray strength over your families, strength over your children. If you have a child who has left home and they've never contacted you since, I want you to have peace in knowing that they're going to be all right. And all right doesn't, and I I know I'm trying to wrap up, but I just got to say this. All right doesn't mean your definition of all right. I say that lovingly. I say that with as much respect as I can give. Your definition of all right doesn't always mean their definition of all right. And that's okay if those things differ. And I know that's tough to hear, but I'm saying that as someone who has, I have siblings that I don't see or hear from. I don't know if they're okay. I don't know if they're sick. I don't know if they're struggling in age. I don't know if they're having marriage problems. I don't know if they have kids. I don't know if their kids are well. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they're broke. I I don't know anything. But I trust in my mind that they're all right because God is with them. Because I've sent prayers out and said, God, you keep your angels around them. You lead them around the right people. You lead them in places of abundance and peace and fruitfulness. And you take care of it, God, because it's not my will or my power, but it's your power, your might, and your desire that makes these things happen. You've got to trust. I'm I'm saying this because I keep trying to get off this and I feel like I can't get off this episode until I say it. You've got to trust that even though you can't reach your kid, that they're going to be okay. I know it sucks. I know it hurts. I know it feels like hell on earth because you're like, I just want to call them. I just want to hear their voice. I just want to see their face, a message, a pigeon, anything from them would be priceless to you. But the truth is you can't control that. You can't control other people. You can only control you. So I'm going to say, while you're trusting that God has got it all under control, I encourage you to put all your energy into finding peace within yourself. 
And I know that's easier said than done. And it may require therapy, support groups, medication, whatever you feel the Lord is leading you to do. But do what you have to do to get peace in you. Because until you have peace in you, you won't have those moments. I'll say this and then I'll get off the soapbox. And I know this is not the same because it's not my child, but I want to tell you how it related. I have a sister who I haven't spoken to in probably 15 years. I don't know if she's dead or alive. I didn't know if she was okay. I don't know if she's healthy, whole, or whatever. And I had to finally, when I was trying to seek time with her, it would not work out. When I was trying to force her to connect with me, it did not work out. And so when I gave up and said, okay, I'm not going to force you to do that. I'm not going to force you to connect with me, to update me, to call me, to do anything. You're ignoring my messages. You're ignoring my calls. You're ignoring my emails. You're ignoring my social media posts. Okay, great. God, give me peace that they're okay. Help me to trust that you've got them. And when I finally got at peace, when I say finally... I don't mean the decision of peace. I mean the peace where you stop thinking about it. I'm not saying you're going to ever not want to be around your child. I'm not going to I'm not saying that you're ever going to not think about them, but when it stops being a predominant thought in your mind of I woke up today, how's my kid? I went to sleep today, how's my kid? I'm eating lunch today, did my kid eat lunch today? Like when it stops becoming a nagging thought in your mind, that is when miracles happen. And that's what happened to me. I had stopped thinking in my mind about my sister. I love my sister dearly and I hope that she's well, but I was like, okay, I can't do anything to make this connection happen. And so I just got on in peace and I moved on with my life, pray for and keep going. Well, a miracle happened when I was shopping for a present for my husband for Father's Day and I ran into one of their friends. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. And in that little moment, it was literally, literally like a 30 second moment of peace that came in where this person said, I just talked to her the other day and I could feel on my spirit on the inside where this happiness leapt up in me. And I was like, please tell me more. Please tell me more because I haven't heard from my sister in years and I know she hates my guts, but I still want her to be well. I didn't have to say anything because she just started saying, yeah, just talk to her. She's doing great. Her kids are great. She's doing really well. I'm really proud of her. She's one of my best friends. I was like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so I'm saying that because God will bring little breaths of fresh air into your life concerning your kid that may not be home, that may not be on the right path, that you may not know where they're living or what's going on. God can breathe those moments of peace into you, but it starts when you stop trying to force it to happen. Because if you're in the way, he can't be strong because you're trying to be strong. He's strong in our weakness, not strong in our strength. So when you back down and say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender my child to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm okay with that. He will do it. He will bring closure. He will bring updates. And just like that, I I actually learned about two of my sisters at one time. Hadn't even asked God for it in months. And he did it. So you be encouraged. Do not give up. Even if your kid is on the wrong path and you're like, they empty nested, they ran out the second they were 18 because they hated my guts. I messed up everything as a child, uh, as a parent, and now they're gone. And I haven't heard from them. I probably never hear from them or see my grandchildren. Let me say this. Let God be the God of restoration, not you. 
what you think is forever may not be forever. There are so many people who get restored with their families years down the road. There are so many people who get that closure on their deathbed where everything worked well and they realized that they were kind of along with them the whole time, just in a way they didn't want to be. They're like, wow, you weren't physically there, but your teachings were. You weren't there, but your picture was. You weren't there, but they lived, you know, through your social media posts because that's how they loved you from a distance. You don't know how God is orchestrating the connection between you and your loved one. Do not give up. Do not be discouraged. Do not back down on your prayers. He hears you. He understands. He knows. He's got your back. He loves you. And so do I. All right. That's everything that I have on my heart to say for this. Thank you for tuning in. If you're like, hey, I need to hear more about that. Can you give me a little bit more insight on this topic? Leave me a message or hit me up at xelbooks at gmail.com or send me a message on xelbooks.com on the website and I will happily um, do an episode just for you. Thanks again. I pray blessings on you, your family, your loved ones, your future generations, everything you have and will have. And may from today going forward be the most peaceful days you've ever experienced. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Excel Books Podcast with Molly. You can find more helpful resources and services at xelbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please send us a message at xelbooks.com or email xelbooks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next time for more tips on work, family, and life.